I'm going to be speaking out of Psalm 136 this morning. First, I want to bring you a story that's 50 years old. It has to do with Martin Luther King. He delivered a speech during the March on Washington in 1963 on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to over 250,000 people. Martin Luther King wanted to bring attention to the need for civil rights legislation in our nation. He said a number of moving statements in his speech about needed equality for black Americans. Like I said, it was delivered over 50 years ago and is a speech that's still remembered and referred to by one repeated phrase. This one phrase or refrain has become a part of American history. These four words that were repeated eight times in eight successive sentences became synonymous with Martin Luther King himself and the civil rights movement in the 60s. Those four words probably already came to your mind. I have a dream. Those four words were a refrain that he used in a very effective way to connect his audience with his message and helping them to remember his message. His speech with this refrain was given over 50 years ago, and it's still remembered today. Our speaker, our psalmist today has a refrain. His intention is for us to remember this refrain, and from this refrain, to not only see it as memorable, but effective and powerful in our own lives. Because the psalmist is writing his words, but we know that since God is the author of all Scripture, these are God's very words about himself. This is God's refrain. A refrain that's not just repeated eight times in eight successive sentences, but 26 times in 26 sentences. Showing the emphasis that God has on this particular phrase, this refrain, this chorus, like the chorus of a song. This phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Now the danger is, when this is repeated 26 times in 26 verses, it can have the feel of of being a bit tedious. But the psalmist saw something of God. God wanted to reveal something of himself in this. Going over and over. It's almost like taking a diamond. See this? See, see this facet? See this facet? See how it sees here? Look here. Watch here. See this? It's about the love of God. The psalmist, God himself through the psalmist, wants us to see what he is communicating to us and how his love affects us. So as we go through this today, let's resist it from being something that is monotonous or something that's tedious. And let's open our hearts and our ears to what God's communicating to us through this refrain. Now this psalm, 26 verses long, has four movements. And I'm going to take those four movements as my four points today. The first movement is verses 1 through 3. 
Each one is expressing God's love in different ways. And the first three verses express thankfulness for God's steadfast love. Let's look at it together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For or because. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his steadfast love endures forever. You see, Psalm 136 was considered one of the halal psalms. A psalm that was taken and sung together at certain festivals, like the Passover festival. And you can see by the way in which it's built, the Levitical priest would say the first line, and the congregation of God's people would erupt with the refrain. So the way in which it would be experienced was like a song. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. You see, as we look at the steadfast love of the Lord, that needs to be something that communicates something to us. It's beyond those words. Because we'd all believe them. Steadfast love of the Lord. Okay, great. But what is that saying about God? What is this steadfast love that endures forever? That is eternal. That has no end. What, what is that steadfast love? Well, in the original language, that's one word. It's hesed. It's steadfast love is a good translation. But there's a fullness to this word that would enrich the ears of an Israelite to where it would be, yes, his steadfast love, his loyal love, his covenantal love, his love given through mercy. So there'd be a richness as that's read that would the Israelite would think about. That term, steadfast love, is used 191 times in the Old Testament to describe God's love for his people. And we can see in this psalm, <clears throat> the first three verses include the words, give thanks for, give thanks. And then through verses 4 through 25, that give thanks is assumed. It's understood to be the expression that undergirds each action that is going to be communicated. And then the last verse, give thanks, is communicated again. It's the bookends for this. It's, it's the theme behind this. Give thanks for what? The steadfast love of the Lord. Give thanks for his actions. But let's begin allowing the steadfast love of the Lord to begin to blossom in our understanding of what that is. It is his loyal love. It is his Love that will not be taken back. It is his covenantal love. It's his love for his people. That unique, steadfast love. 
And as we look at this, we can see that a steadfast love is the foundation. It, it, it is what we're giving thanks for. As we look at these aspects, his goodness, every one of those actions, the motivation behind that is declared as a steadfast love that endures forever. The word for, you can insert because. Give thanks to the Lord of Lord. He is good. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love for us. As the Israelites heard that. For us. For all Israelites. And as he talks about the God of gods and the Lord of lords, he's, he's not talking about any other deities. He's talking about the sovereign ruler, the one true God, the only God. That God is God of gods, Lord of lords, and he is good. The motivation of his goodness towards his people is his steadfast love that endures forever. The reason with every first part of the verse, the reason for that action we're going to see, action throughout history, we're going to see that the reason is his steadfast love that endures forever. May God help us to see more of what he's wanting us to see as we look at the richness about what this phrase communicates to us here in the 21st century. Well, that's the first movement. The second movement begins in verse 4. It goes verses 4 through 9. And it's an expression of his love first in creation. Let me read those for you. Verse 4, to him who alone does great wonders, action, reason, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love, his motive behind it, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. You're beginning to see the emphasis God is placing on this recurring refrain and how important it is to understand it. It's not hard to marvel at God's creation. Everywhere we look, we see the wonders of his creative work. The heavens are no exception. During the monsoons that we have, I love to sit out and watch the weather come in until the wind comes. But I love to see the clouds. I love to see the lightning display. That amazing part of God's creation. God created the heavens and the earth with us in view. Creation was an expression of his glory. Glory seen in his covenant to love for his people. God not only created the heavens and the earth as we see, but also created time as his gift, represented by those two great markers, the sun by day and the moon by night, verses 8 and 9. With each expression of the great wonders created by God that the Israelites could see and experience, thankful praise came forth. This thankful praise 
declaring that the very motive of God's creation, of all that we see, is his glory seen in his love for his people. That begins to move it from a repetitive communication to a passionate expression, a passionate refrain. Now, as we leave verse 9 and go into verse 10, the psalmist begins to move throughout Israelite history, citing examples of God's wonders done for them. So the third movement, verses 10 through 12, is his love seen and redeeming his people, and he breaks this into two different pieces. He first, in verses 10 through 16, talks about the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. And then in 17 through 22, talks about their conquest of the promised land. So those two pieces are the redemption of his people. Let me read beginning in verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, For his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever to him who led his people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. So you can see the the psalmist is taking them from throughout history, through creation first, and then goes to their deliverance and begins with the tenth and final plague that God brought upon Egypt to release the people. That tenth plague, the Passover. And again, as it said, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. What is understood that begins that phrase is a thank you, Lord, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Through this plague, And Pharaoh's response to the death of the firstborn throughout the nation of Egypt, including his own son, God brought Israel out from among them. His deliverance from Egypt was a product of his love for Israel. That's what's the refrain. That's what's coming through. The motive in his deliverance was his love for his people. How did he do it? With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. There is no God that's greater than God. Pharaoh being the greatest ruler in the world at the time. Egypt, the greatest nation with the most wealth and the most military might. Was nothing compared to the authority and the power of our God. So you can see how singing this at the Passover would remind the Israelites of the history behind it. Their aspect of redemption, God sparing them from death, passing over every family that was protected by that sacrificial 
lamb, taking the blood and putting it on the doorpost and the threshold to be able to show they're protected by the blood of the lamb. They follow the directions of God and they are protected. Why? Steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And then God reminds them of their complete deliverance from, bondage, from the bondage of slavery through the wonder of the crossing of the Red Sea. They were not only brought out of Egypt, but they were delivered from Egypt, never to be under Pharaoh's rule again. God overthrew, the word is used there, he overthrew Pharaoh in verse 15. And if we look at the original language, that would be similar to saying God shook him off. In other words, defeating Pharaoh would be like us shaking off an insect. There's not power that's compared. God is God. He's the God of God. He's the Lord of Lords. There is no power compared to their God. And their God, our God, loves them with a steadfast love that never ends. The psalmist then in verse 16 fast forwards the historical review and reminds the people that they were not only delivered from bondage to freedom, but they were successfully led through the wilderness to the promised land, to their inheritance, to where God said he would bring his covenantal people. And we can then see in verses 17 through 22 what might be, it's certainly interesting, may ever even be surprising in the review of the conquest of Canaan that we see. Let me read it for us. To him who struck down great kings, for a steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for a steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. See, the question can come to mind, why is this part of the conquest recorded? Why not crossing the Jordan River? Why not taking Jericho? Those would be stories that we're well familiar with. However, God, through the psalmist, focuses their attention not on a single victory, but on the completed promise of deliverance, the end of the wilderness wanderings, and the first experienced in the promised land. You see, these two kings that are mentioned here, were defeated under the leadership of Moses as they prepared to cross the Jordan River. After the defeat of these kings, Moses would turn over the leadership of the Israelites to Joshua and he would lead them across the Jordan into the continued conquest of the Promised Land, their promised inheritance. So why did the psalmist mention these two kings? I believe the reason is because these two kings were significant because they were the first two kings defeated in the conquest of Canaan at the very end of the wilderness wanderings. They were prominent kings that had extensive territory. 
their defeat said to the Israelites, like Pharaoh, no authority can stand before God. No Pharaoh can keep people in bondage. No king can hold land that his people are promised to inherit and inhabit. And no power on earth can keep God's covenantal promises from being realized by his people. And his motive is his steadfast love endures forever. Let me show you a map of the uh, promised land. And you can see on there the uh, little bit darker brown or gray on the east side by Jericho there. That is the area of the king of Shion. The green area above that is the area of Og, the king of Bashan. These were extensive areas, not just a city. There were over 60 cities that the Israelites took in the area of Bashan. They knew these kings. These represented God's powerful hand. Shion was mentioned 34 times in the Old Testament. Og, 22 times. They're just not names familiar to us. But Og, it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11. Og had an iron bed that was 13 and a half feet long. See, he was the last and the descendant of the giants, the Rephaim, Rephanim, possibly a descendant of Goliath. So would he be formidable in their minds? And God defeated them. God didn't end their wilderness wanderings in a small way, but in a great way. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Remember the mighty kings. God defeated them. Remember Pharaoh. God defeated them. Why? For you, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever throughout all of history. You see it here. You see it here. You see it here. You see it at the end of the wilderness wanderings before the occupying Canaan. In that process, you see he defeated all the kings. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. So those names would be familiar to the Israelites and bring to mind thankfulness for his power. Our last movement, verses 23 through 26. The psalmist concludes by bringing history up to his current day. He changes his, his reference from historical Israel to current Israel. Let me read it for us. Verse 23. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. For his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever for us, for his people. You see, this psalm moves from remembering the historic moves of God on their behalf to the present. 
He who remembered us in our low estate. He who rescued us from our foes. So at this point in the recitation of the psalm, they would be encouraged in the psalm to have their own ideas, own areas come to mind where God has moved with wonders on their behalf in their lives. Current application. Where has God moved? For each and every Israelite, they would begin to add in their mind to the wondrous works of God where God has met them, where God has remembered them, how he has moved in their lives. It becomes a psalm that spans the historical landscape and brings the expression of gratitude forward to their today. The psalm ends with the expression of thanksgiving that bookends this psalm. The theme of thanksgiving to God frames it. But it's about God, his action towards his people, and his motive is his love. D.A. Carson says this, The supreme reality is not the Lord's status that we see in verses 1 to 3, nor his work in creation that we see in 4 through 9, and history, 10 through 22, nor even his goodness to Israel in 23 through 25, but what he is in himself, the one whose love endures forever. To this point of emphasis and reiteration, everything returns. His status would by itself inspire awe. His creatorial works marvel. His power evident in history submission. His goodness gratitude. But when we see that all these greatnesses spring from an unchanging love which delights to manifest power in mercy and provision, then the Lord is truly acknowledged with wonder love, and praise. This refrain is telling us about God. This refrain for his steadfast love endures forever. I pray that it's becoming less of a repeated statement and more of a passionate expression about how God loves his people and who God is. The repetition and celebration of this refrain shouldn't end with the Israelites. Verses 23 and 24 also speak to all that are reading and singing this psalm, even us, up to our today. When it says, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. We simply need to look at John 3.16 to see how God, motivated out of his love, remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Or as we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Do you see how we can sing that truth that God, he remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes? You see, we with our pilgrim brothers and sisters of the Old Testament church can retrace our foundational pilgrimage from Egypt to Canaan, from bondage to sin to freedom in Christ. And sing with them every step of the way that his steadfast love endures forever. Well, that's Psalm 136. And church, I'd like to, as I close, to bring three different areas that we can apply of this. Apply from this hymn. Excuse me, from this psalm. The first application is this. Continue the refrain. Continue the refrain. A listing of the works and the wonders of God will never be complete. His people should continue to add more and more stanzas to their praise. And when we say, he met us in our lowest state, how and where and when, and thank you, Lord. You rescued us from our foes here and here and then and that day, that situation. Thank you, God. Thank you that your motive and your action in my life is because your steadfast love endures forever. Continue the refrain. We need to remember who God is and what he's done for his people through his steadfast love for us. Our experience of the goodness of God, the deliverance of God, the rescue of God, the provision of God is as real to us as it was to the Israelites as they recounted the Passover events, the crossing of the Jordan, the taking of the land of Canaan. That was vivid in their minds. But how about you? brothers and sisters in Christ. It's what Christ has done is vivid to you that his sacrifice for you was out of the steadfast love of God that endures forever. What do you recount? What do you remember? His goodness is seen in Christ. His steadfast love is seen in Christ. His deliverance is seen in Christ. His rescue is seen in Christ. His provision is seen in Christ. Ephesians 2, verses, verse 4. Let me read that for you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Do we see God's goodness in our lives in Christ? Are we aware of his steadfast love for us? May that phrase, the steadfast love of God, not simply be an Old Testament phrase but be a current truth to you. This love, this steadfast love, never ends. Wherever the people of God are on the timeline of history, they experience this love from God. The psalmist could not emphasize it more strongly. 
God through the psalmist. 26 times. There's not another place in Scripture where there's that amount of repetition. Church, it must be important. And it must help us to see something of God. What, Psalm 136 is familiar to the Israelites talking about the steadfast love of the Lord in their history and the love of God. Well, we hear those echoes into the New Testament. We hear those expressions of the love of God. That will never end in the New Testament for us as believers. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and 37 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? Very familiar passage. But hear it. Hear it with the backdrop of all God has done and who He is. And how He's loved His people with an everlasting steadfast love for all generations, forever, that will never cease. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. More than Og and Sion. The enemy and death and sin has been conquered through Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this, I am sure, and may we be able to echo his words. For I am sure, for Trey is sure. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. May we all be able to say that, even in our deepest, darkest times, because it's truth about God. We should believe this refrain, and we should continue this refrain, For his steadfast love endures forever. The second application is recognize other refrains. This refrain, refrain, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, should continue to be our refrain throughout the ages until Christ returns. However, other refrains can crowd it out. For example, The steadfast love of the Lord doesn't include me. If you feel that way, if you've felt, if you've had those thoughts, steadfast love of the Lord doesn't include me. Why? Well, he would have given me a spouse by now, or he would have taken away my pain, or he would have given me work by now, or he would not let me be so long alone. He would not let that report of cancer be true, whatever it might be. We can take our feelings and let that define the love of God. No. Remember the refrain. Steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. You might have this thought. The steadfast love of the Lord doesn't really last forever. Why? Well, I'll never be good enough. I I don't deserve his love. I'll eventually fail. It's only a matter of time. God loves good people, and I'm not that good. No, resist that refrain because it is not communicating the truth of God's love. Or this refrain, the steadfast love of the Lord is too good to be true. I feel the weight of my sin more than God's love and forgiveness. 
God knows me too well to love me forever. I should always feel his love, and I don't, and I haven't for a while. No. This refrain lasts the ages. When I don't feel God's steadfast love or feel that his steadfast love has been put on pause in my life, and none of us live every day feeling the steadfast love of the Lord. We feel pressure. We feel a lot going on. That's why the psalmist said it 26 times in one chapter. Remind, remind, help you see again, say it again, memorize it, look at, because it's true. And it needs to be what we bring against the feelings that feel oh so true. Our feelings are real, but they don't always communicate true conclusions about them. I want to be more aware of the love of God that never ends. I want to be more aware of the love of God than my trials that I face that will end, the suffering I endure even for a while, the fears that entrap my thinking. When I see his steadfast love on display as he shows in this psalm, by rising above my life experiences, may the same refrain be heard echoing in my soul. May I speak to myself this truth. And may it be my life. You know, an interesting thing about this psalm is that God doesn't describe his love in comparison to the failure of his people. There was much failure of the Israelites. Look at the golden calf. Look at their complaining in the wilderness. Look at their unbelief that they expressed. Look at when the spies went out originally before the wilderness wandered. Look at But God never once communicates his attribute based on or comparing to their work or their failures. I believe the reason is the steadfast love of the Lord was never affected by our failures. This is an aspect of who God is. And don't we see something similar today? Don't we see and feel our failures determine how much or how long we experience the love of God? However, the gospel tells us that our failures can never stop the love of God from being expressed or experienced. As a Christian, we know that our sins, our failures, have been placed on Christ. He bore our complete punishment. Punishment for all of our sins. Sin no longer defines us. For our life in Christ, that defines us. Even as we sang earlier, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I'd add to that. Any worldly refrain is sinking sand. Stand on this refrain. And I love that last verse. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed, how? In his righteousness alone. (laughs) And in his righteousness alone, faultless I stand before the throne. That is our reality. It's not just a hope. It's a reality. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. And it's on you if you're a believer. Praise God. Christ 
has become our, our substitute. He's taken our sin. He's borne our punishment. He's redeemed our lives. He gives us access to the steadfast love of God as his children. That never ends. Since this has been secured by Christ for us who is death and resurrection, we have that secure hope that we can declare for our lives that the steadfast love of the Lord never ends. And it includes you. Final application. And this is a gospel connection. As Christians, we experience a steadfast love of God that never ends. There's never a day that we will not experience this love from God. That steadfast love is given to all of his children, all of his people throughout history, past, present, and future, without reservation or hesitation. It's not earned. It's a gift. His loyal, covenantal love. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. And I'd like to communicate to you that this love that I'm revealing or reviewing is not your experience. But I would invite you to become a Christian so that it can be your experience. How do you become a Christian? You put faith in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for your personal sins. That your life is imperfect. That salvation comes not through your own works, as we talked about even during the worship time, but Christ's finished work on our behalf. He came to earth, did what we couldn't do, lived a sinless life, then died a death on the cross to take the punishment for our sin upon him, that we would be freed from the punishment and reconciled with God. So how do you become a Christian? You put faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is all the Bible talks about as the Son of God and your Redeemer. I invite you to do that this morning, please. That's the reality for all who put faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because there was a day when the steadfast love of God was withheld. There was one day it was held, withheld from one man, and that was Jesus, the Son of God, who cried out from the cross in expression, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That day, for a time, Jesus did not experience God's steadfast love. But, church, because of that day, God's steadfast love was withheld from Jesus, so that we would never live a day where his steadfast love would be withheld from us. That will never occur. Because Jesus was forsaken, we will never be. And for this, we should ever be thankful. Singing at the top of our lungs, for his steadfast love endures forever. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. As a people of God, we can say, we have a promised reality. Our reality is that the steadfast love of God endures forever and includes us. 
But church, the way I'd like to close the service this morning is reviewing Psalm 136, the way in which the Israelites would, where there'd be someone reciting the first phrase, the action of God, and then the congregation of God's people responding with the refrain, responding with the chorus, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. So would you please stand with me and join with me as we have this responsive reading? And let's declare it to the Lord. May it be more than just reciting the text. I give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him who alone does great wonders. To Him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him... Who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen. Let's pray.